you're kind of waiting for this like magic bullet, you know, of like, I'm going to go to premarital counseling and then I'm going to get married. When I say I do, I'm going to get to have sex with my wife and that's going to make me not want to watch porn anymore. That's a hundred percent not true. And mm-hmm. that will 100% not happen to you. I promise you cannot marry your way out of a porn addiction. Oh, there's happen. a quote. You cannot yeah. marry your way yeah. out of a porn addiction. You Hear can't, that, you friends. can't do it. And- I'm going to take that further. You can't sleep your way out of a porn addiction. No amount of partners will pull you out of that if that's what you want to stop. No amount of regular, consistent, healthy sex with your spouse will pull you out of a porn addiction if you haven't gone to the root of the issue and dealt with why you're there to begin with. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. Okay, friends, Lauren Enriquez started a new job this week, so we're giving her a slight break to adjust to that. And in the meantime, you get producer Kyle back on, which is always a treat. Welcome back, Kyle. I'm here and I'm waving again, knowing that most people are going to listen to this only. <laughs> I'm sure they <laughs> I did can the same see thing whenever I recorded with Lauren. Words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. can, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Today's topic, <clears throat> and I appreciate you actually were the one that suggested that we cover this, um, which means mm-hmm. you actually do listen to what we're saying. So thanks for that. Um, because today's topic is one that we traditionally think of oh, this is a guy's problem. But one, we are also seeing increasing um, usage among women. And then it's it's one that even though more men struggle with this, it very much affects women and the women in their lives mm-hmm. and the women in culture and society. And so, friends, if you haven't figured it out, we're talking about porn. At some point, we'll we will have an, yeah, we'll have an episode someday that's like totally kid-friendly. This yeah. one, we're just warning you, we're talking about pornography. We don't plan on getting explicit, uh, but we will be oh, talking. No, so sure. if you don't want to explain what porn is to your kids, move them on out of the room. Uh, and part of right now. Yeah. <laughs> go, go. Part of the jump off is, you know, a couple of things in the news. They've kind of been happening over the last few months. The big one is Pornhub. So finally, in in August, MasterCard said that they would no longer process payments for Pornhub, which was a huge, huge win mm-hmm. because and Visa and yeah. Visa and and Pornhub is the biggest online distributor of pornography. Do I have that right? I would you say I would assume so. Yeah, I mean. I will throw a hand up and say you're anyone listening is willing to fact check any aspect of this. But yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say Pornhub, I think, is the largest online distributor of porn. And they have child uh, over like any other site. Right? Isn't that part of the problem? They have child pornography uh, as well. Uh, Undocumented. I don't know. Un- I've seen well, those stories. Of, I've seen those stories of, of of people who are like, that video of ta- was taken of me as a child and it's still up there. Um listen, oh, when you have yeah. a name so like people are, Pornhub. Yeah, if people are reaching out. Like if like people that have been on the site, yeah. like as, you know, I guess actors or I guess people in the films have been on the site, whether it's by their own choice or by someone's else, someone else's choice. If they're reaching out saying like, hey, this was whenever I was a minor, like this is filmed whenever I was underage and it got uploaded and it's still there. Then, yeah, for sure. I don't think that they're outright advertising. It's, I don't think they have like a tab that's like... Yeah. child porn over here. You know, it's not like categorized. Um, but that also speaks to one of the things that I'm sure we're going to get into in in great detail, which is like, it's impossible for like the viewer to in any reasonable way, verify or know with any amount of certainty 
if, you know, how old these people are in the videos, whether they actually consented to this or whether they were coerced or trafficked into it. And it's just, there's just no way for anyone to really ever know who's watching this. And so whenever it comes to like combating, um, you know, the stigmas around porn and combating you know, this idea that it's okay, it kind of is an all or nothing argument, you know? Absolutely. What's interesting is that, you know, as a culture, you know, you have Pornhub, finally Visa and MasterCard not processing payments, finally Instagram kicked them off, although they keep trying to get uh, an account. And and you would think like anytime porn is in the news, you know, the topic of porn, trying to censor that there would be this consensus as a society that says, this is really good. It's really good that we're putting limits on this. It's really good that we're uh, trying to rein this in. It's really good that we are seeking to minimize the reach, the impact, the availability. And yet that's not what we see. Like surprisingly, there is a, I don't even know if it's broad, but there's a loud (laughs) contingency that says, no, you're restricting freedom of expression. This is just art. It's not harmful. I mean, you were even talking to about how how feminists have taken this up almost as a rallying cry. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that like, to kind of like, um, to speak to your point of people like being upset about restrictions being put about put around that, I think that that is like, I mean, you could apply that argument to anything in today's society, but I think that it stems and like, I'm not a sociologist or psychiatrist or I'm not an expert in any, any of these related fields. Um, and like a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, like I will talk about it from my own experience and my own opinion. So that's everyone's disclaimer right off the bat. Um, but I think that one of the main problems is that for the most part, almost every individual in this country has adopted this idea of, I know what's best for me. You know, I know what's best. Mm-hmm. Like how you like, you don't get to tell me what's good for for me. And let me back up. Maybe I shouldn't say every individual feels that way. That is what everyone is told that they should think about themselves though. Like that right. you know best for yourself. And a lot of these modern movements that you will see you know, spanning any number of topics and any number of um, things that people are wanting to try and gain advocacy for, whether it's good or bad or you're for it or not, it kind of stems from this idea that like, we know best, like we're in the group that's affected. And so like, we know best. And like, this is, this is like a a huge rabbit hole topic. And I'm, I'm not about to say that there are black and white answers to these issues. Some of them are nuanced and some of them are on a case by case basis. I don't think this is one of them though. So I, it's, it's really interesting whenever we, whenever we think about like hearing about how restrictions are being put around something like porn and then people getting upset about that. Like who, who is this helping? Like who is the porn industry helping? You know, like what is it doing other than just leeching off off of society physically, emotionally, monetarily? Well, the reality is most, most people who are involved in porn are there because they need money. They were trafficked or coerced into it. Their circumstances uh, made them feel that they had to do this. And and the handful, very small handful of people who sort of rise to celebrity ranks as porn stars, uh, you know, they are not representative of the standard experience. And even they will Mm. talk about how physically harmful, emotionally harmful it is. And so it's so ironic to me that that feminists have taken up this cry. When we say feminists, we need, mean sort of the modern day 
uh, feminist, not not the first wave of feminism that really <laughs> sought to put women on a level of not equality. Not the, hey, we want to vote no, and get paid like, equally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this yeah. is the one that says, like, we want to be able to kill our children. We want to basically turn ourselves into men. I mean, that's the great irony is, is that the current feminist movement is advocating for women to hack apart their bodies to turn themselves into men through transgender surgery, to attack their own fertility, um, and then with pornography to become reduce themselves to their one denominator, the sexualized version, which again, it's like, well, how do you expect that a woman is going to be seen as this complex, capable, unique individual when you are asking for this whole business to be able to thrive. And it's all about how a woman's body gets used uh, for another person's enjoyment, whether on screen or the person watching and consuming it. And I think that to me just shows the great inconsistency of where feminism is at today, uh, that it's really not about empowering women to say, hey, how do we help these women work, own a job, have dignity? It's diminished them and it's demeaning. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I I agree as much as I've, am capable of agreeing because I'm not a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> it is a lot of like women that for everything that we know, probably don't do like, don't actively engage in like consuming porn. They're definitely not involved in the porn industry, but it's part of this broader, you know, movement to again, kind of back to my earlier point of like, well, like I know what's best. We know what's best. Like just stop telling us everything no matter what and let us make our own choices no matter how horrible they are, you know? And well, it's and like, it's condescending, I find, when it's one woman saying that to another. It's like women who say, but poor women need need abortion. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. So their babies are not as valuable as yours. I would never have one. But these women who are on welfare are going to be limited. Instead of saying, how do I help elevate her so that that is not what she has to turn to? Yeah, it's it's definitely the like, I'm I'm in a tower and I'm like casting out commands and judgment onto I'm being a, so a helpful. I'm just going to help, I'm not participating I'm help the poor people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. The, another thing that's really ironic is that like a lot of these people, and I've read the articles, I've seen the tweets, like I've seen, I don't have any specific one in mind, but anyone listening is probably knows what we're talking about. Like you've seen a lot of people over the years come out and speak in favor of women being able to choose to be part of the porn industry. And like, A, spoiler alert, most of them probably have not made that choice for themselves. But B, like, it's it's just insane to me that like their their way of like their chosen method of activism is to just defend that they can continue to be part of this really horrible system and industry rather than using their platform and their fame and their wealth to actually try and get more people out of it who they yeah. know yeah have been harmed physically emotionally mentally by this industry there's some testimonies of, of people who will talk about having been in the porn industry and it's heartbreaking because to hear it is to realize this is not an empowering, freeing, you know, experience uh, for the individuals involved. I want to look at, you had, you know, kind of touched on it, but let's unpack, you know, I gave the rant of like, as a woman, this is why I think it's demeaning and it limits us and it minimizes us. But, you know, from a guy's perspective, right, how does viewing pornography, how does being in a culture that is uh, very porn saturated? I mean, listen, just because we don't see a full naked body on a billboard doesn't mean that we're not in a highly charged sexualized culture. I mean, my husband has told me it's incredibly, 
difficult when he's just doing work online. Like he goes, Joanna, there's ads popping up all day long that you could click and three or four clicks later, like you know exactly where you're going to end up. Um, Absolutely. And so as a guy who, you know, generally guys are more visual. We know that's a stereotype, not every guy, but like as a guy, what is it like to grow up, to live, to try to be in healthy relationships with your wife, with other women, when this is sort of the pervasive background and how is it affecting the way guys are viewing women? That was a really long way to get to a short question. (laughs) That's you and me both. Let's like shelve the relationship aspect of this for a second. We will absolutely get to that because that's where it always ends up. It always leads there. It always, all of these problems for a lot of men, honestly, almost always manifest when they finally get into a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to see these things whenever you're like a single guy or living by yourself. Um, It can be really difficult to recognize when you're like already hooked. And I think that's what's the hard thing about it Mm -hmm. that a lot of guys I think need to talk about. A lot of young guys need to hear. And I think a lot of women, whether you're, you know, a a young woman, you have guy friends, you're a mom, sister, whatever, like need to be okay trying to kind of like recognize some of these signs and some of these patterns too, is that like, you know, a lot of guys, whenever they will start to to, to want to engage in this behavior, like they'll self-isolate. They will start spending a lot more time alone. And then whenever they do get around people, their, you know, their behavior around, you know, their guy friends, a lot of the times tends to be a little bit more crass. You tend to start making more inappropriate jokes because you've normalized seeing a lot of this behavior. And so you're more comfortable talking about it because it's less weird to you. So that that's what's difficult about it is because like it's this really really gradual kind of like slow burn into now mm. all of a sudden it's new it's exciting it's it, like it's secretive you don't want to talk about it and then all of a sudden boom instantly it's normalized and so once once an unhealthy behavior like this gets normalized for you that's when you're in like the really really critical like danger zone and and I do think it it bears repeating that while the majority of people consuming porn are men increasingly this is becoming something for women and and I know yeah. that a lot of our audience is actually young women and so um, you know, as you hear this, I wanted Kyle to come on to give a guy's perspective, but this may be something that you yourself are struggling with. Um, and so this this kind of applies to both. It's just whoever is viewing this, it it is changing the way that you then think about people, the way you approach sexuality. I mean, we know that with teenagers that so many of them are kind of learning about sex through porn and it's creating these very unrealistic expectations uh, about how people want to have sex, what is appropriate to ask of somebody, how to treat somebody, you know, aggressively. We're, you know, we're seeing this sort of aggression in sexual experiences that um, can be tied to a rise in pornography because pornography does not portraying loving, committed relationships built on respect. (laughs) No. No, it's really not. With brain chemistry, what's always fascinating to me is... there is a real physiological component to this. So I think, you know, we were talking about how when you do something that induces pleasure, um, your your brain releases dopamine. I mean, nobody's going to say, wow, porn is really unenjoyable. We would say porn. The reason people- Some people might, and that's fair. But but most people go back to it because there was something about it that was enjoyable in the moment. Now, afterwards, you may feel like complete dirt or you may feel- terrible about yourself or whatever. But in the moment, your brain responded positively to this. And yet there's this desensitization that happens, which you pointed out in how we interact with people, but also I I think in how, like the kind of porn that is consumed, right? Most people don't start off with this hardcore 
really graphic, uh, you know, or even child porn. They start with what they think is just really something soft, some images, yeah. maybe some videos. But your brain needs more and more of a hit because it gets desensitized as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I'm sure yeah. that that is tough too to live in a sex saturated culture where sort of there's just just this baseline imagery all around us. It's that that is kind of conditioning every single one of us in some ways. Yeah. I mean, it's, everything is over-sexualized now, which is. I mean, TV shows, I mean, I guess magazines, you I can't guess it's, <laughs> go anywhere. It's inevitable on some level, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's borderline unavoidable at this point. It's really difficult to, to engage in any aspect of our culture now without dealing with some facet of over-sexualization of something. You know, and I guess, I guess just to clarify, you know, we're talking about art and media, um, particularly, you know, and that could, that definitely extends to marketing, um, you know, but I guess, you know, we're referring to those things when we say culture, I'm not going to say that, you know, you walk into subway and there's like going to be like a poster on the wall. No, someone, but just sort uh, of like doing something in your day, <laughs> but, in, but in your day though, you, you pretty much encounter everything throughout your day, whether you work from home or not. I mean, I would argue at this point, probably even more if you work mm-hmm, from home, mm-hmm. you know, if you're on the internet a lot and you're on a computer a lot, you just see a lot of stuff. But, um, well, and the temptation to just click or search or it, it and that's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's the access. Yes. Access used to be a lot more difficult, yeah. right? You had to like get in your car, you had to, to drive to someplace, you had to buy a thing. People had to see you walk in, you risk that anyway. Yeah. You don't risk any of that now. You can get stuff mailed to you. You can have, I mean, the access on your phone and on your computer, which is why I'm a big advocate of teenagers not (laughs) having a smartphone because you've handed your kid a computer and said, have a nice time. And they have access to everything that is out there. A lot of the times whenever people are exposed to porn, it's not because they sought it out themselves. It's because someone else showed it to them or someone else gave them access to it. And as a young guy, that's also something that's really probably not the case anymore. A lot of young dudes probably have phones or computers and like they've probably just look it up on their own because they see it um, in society. I mean, like you, I would argue that you probably wouldn't even have to go to an actual porn site today if you wanted to, if you wanted to consume some type of like over-sexualized, mm-hmm. you know, sexually gratifying content. You can do it on TikTok. You can do it on YouTube. Absolutely. Um, you can do it on all, all types of, of social media platforms. Um, you can do it on Twitter. You know, you can you can have access to a number of things. Well, that that brings up a, a you know a question that I, I know I've heard from people as I've spent years talking about sex and relationships and healthy you know guardrails and stuff like that. How do we protect our kids, and how do we equip our kids not for if they see something, but for when they see or oh, yeah. encounter something, whether they sought it out, whether, you know, they Googled the wrong thing and didn't know what to click on uh, or someone showed it to them. Because it's inevitable that our kids are going to encounter this content. So, I mean, you know, as a guy, what would you say? Hey, he, here's conversations I wish I'd had. Uh, here's conversations I'm going to have, you know, because you have um, a child, you have a young son and, you know, I have four daughters. Like, what would what do you think are some ways that we help protect our kids and then also prepare them? Yeah, um, I think uh, uh, a not relying on someone else to do it, mm-hmm. no matter how much you trust them or believe in their own uh, opinions about the matter or their own ability to do it. You have to take responsibility as a parent or as a guardian or as a leader to the young people in your life. Um, I think being honest 
with them right off the bat about, um, you know, the, 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 the things that, that it will harm later on in their life when they get into a relationship with somebody. I think that that's like a really important place to start, especially with young guys. I think, you know, framing the argument from the perspective of like, it's not worth it, I think is a really good, good way to do it because it's, it's honestly not, it's really, really hard to break out of the cycle of being addicted to porn and consuming that regularly. It's really, really hard. And people um, don't it's realize a process that. addiction. They do not yeah, realize that. Yeah, people don't that. realize that. Porn is a legitimate process addiction. Mm-hmm. No, it is not like a drug addiction. It is not chemically induced, but it does alter your brain chemistry. It does, um, you know, send dopamine to your brain whenever you consume it. And then you being able to like regulate your own, you know, dopamine triggers is exactly the type of thing that puts you into a place to be in a process addiction. And that is very similar to a lot of other types of addiction. So um, again, I'm going to circle back to my disclaimer. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a doctor (laughs) at all. I can tell you the things that I've learned, but once you, you know, if you want to learn more about the actual science of it, you know, look, there's a lot of great articles online about it. And you know, you can read all about it. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but yes, porn's a legitimate addiction. Um, and it can be almost impossible at times to break out of this cycle, especially if it's something that you do in isolation and you have a lot of, um, opportunities to be alone. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. Not everyone that, you know, watches porn or has watched porn or will watch porn will get addicted to it at all. Not, not all people will. Right. Um, it's definitely a danger. It's definitely a threat to everybody. But, you know, some people just don't feel the same way about it. You know, um, some people just were never really into it. That doesn't mean that they didn't have things that they struggled with. But like, it, you know, there is a varying degree of response to it. But because of how accessible it is, I think, you know, I, I sent you a link to an article. And I think in the article they said, as of like 2020, I think something like 90 or 91% of men had had viewed porn in like 60% of women, something like that. So yeah, I think the takeaway is that, yeah, it absolutely affects women way more than I think the average person would, would know or think about, but basically all guys have to deal with this. So, well, the average age of consumption for like first consumption for a boy used to be 11. And I think that number has dropped to eight years old. Yeah. And so the reality is, is That's you know, and it's, it's like anything with our kids in this culture right now, you can take one of two approaches. You can stick your head in the sand and you can think, my child's never going to encounter this. I've taken them to, um, you know, a little shack in the mountains and this is where we shall live. But the, the more probably honest and helpful approach is to say they will encounter these things. So how do I begin mm-hmm. to layer on the conversations? It's like when I talk to, you know, my oldest and we had our first conversation about what sex is. It's not the whole conversation. It's not everything. Sure. It's not all the good, all the bad. You're, you're laying that baseline um, sort of foundation to then build on. And so if you have young children, it, it could be saying things like, you know, here's why mom doesn't want you online. This is why dad, you know, wants to supervise. But you may come across something and it may make you feel uncomfortable or it may be surprising um, or or you may see it and you're like, this kind of looks interesting, but something about it makes me want to hide it. I want you to come to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not here to to make you feel bad about it. I want to talk about that with you. 
And I want to help you understand what you've seen or someone may show that. And then you, I I would, you know, my kids are just, just starting to get there. But um, Mm -hmm. then I would think building on that and, and helping them understand that when they see something that makes them kind of instinctively want to hide it, that that's a good thing to bring to mom and dad, but that they're not going to be in trouble for it. I think that's the disconnect, right? And that's where shame comes in is shame says you are the problem. You've got to keep it hidden. And that doesn't go away. Whether you're 10 or you're 50, shame says don't tell anyone because they'll think you're the worst. And that's such a lie. Guilt says I did wrong. Shame says I am wrong. Mm -hmm. And whenever you start this, you know, adopting this negative core belief that like you are wrong and you're the problem, you're, right. no one would want to talk about that and bring that up. It would take an unbelievably, like weirdly, adversely strong emotional person to like admit that about themselves and then bring it up and then be proactive about seeking out help. Right. And that's the type of person that would probably ironically not be struggling with this to begin with. Um, so yeah, you're not going to want to, you know, open the door to make them feel like they have to hide certain behaviors, which as you know, as a parent, I think that this just goes in general, you know, building a foundation and fostering an environment where your children feel safe to talk to you about things, mm-hmm. I think is the, it, that's like step one, just like whatever you do daily, like hourly on a minute by minute basis, just continually fostering an environment where your f- children feel safe and comfortable talking to you about things. Because if, because if they feel like they can, they will. Yes. You know, and especially if you identify things ahead of time that they're going to experience and then they go experience those things and be like, oh, mom and dad said this might happen. Then now they believe you Mm -hmm. because you're kind of this like weird fortune teller who controls their time, (laughs) you know? So it's, you know, everything that you can do. So, but the approach that, that I feel like doesn't work as well, in my opinion, is the you know, outlining like that this is wrong behavior and it should be avoided without really going into why. It's okay to say it's wrong, but I think that anytime you tell a child that something is wrong and you don't tell them why, you're kind of setting them up for failure and you're doing them a disservice because you're expecting them to just kind of blindly submit to your authority, but you're not always going to be around and they're not going to like submit to your authority if you're not in the room and they're 12 and like all their other friends are peer pressuring them and then that person they had a crush on walks in the room, you know what I mean? Like that's not a system that you can trust. So um, arming your child with information and respecting them as the future adult that they're going to be, I think is the right approach within reason and within certain boundaries of well, not being too explicit. It's age appropriate. Yeah, but be age appropriate. Right? Yeah, the conversation you're going to have so. with your son when he's 16 versus the conversation you're going to have with him when he's eight are very different. And it's one totally different. one approach yeah. I take to our our kids and is is these early years, I'm really trying to emphasize and reinforce and show, point out the positive of life. Like, you know, yeah. as a Christian, I see there's, hey, there's a way to live that is for our flourishing and is for our good. And you you don't even have to be a believer to to look around and kind of start to say, that seems like a better route. And so pointing out to my kids, yeah. if we watch a movie or we read a book to say, oh, you know, how do you think that made that person feel? And what do you notice about this relationship? And, and oh, they seem sad. Why is... And, helping them begin to identify how certain behaviors lead to certain emotions or results and outcomes. Uh, You know, because we know that kids' prefrontal cortex isn't formed. And so they don't have that cause and effect. But if they start to build a framework for what is positive and good and beautiful, then as things come into that, you have something to contrast it with to say, yeah, Yeah. you know, 
oh, okay, that may have been interesting to watch, but let's talk about what this is actually telling us. Oh, you're right, like compared to this other thing over here. Uh, and, you know, and, and kids naturally gravitate to what is good and true and right when they're little. Mm-hmm. And so being able to reinforce that helps you then have something to refer to when they come up against essentially what I would call a counterfeit. You know, porn is a, is a yeah. counterfeit of what sex and yeah. sexuality and relationships should be. And they, they won't be trained to recognize a counterfeit if they haven't spent a lot of time with the real deal. Yeah. And obviously as children, that only means talking about it. <laughs> right. So, but even the real um, of like, right, like reinforcing like, hey, this is what good relationships look like. Yeah, and, and you don't have oh, yeah. to talk about messed up relationships. All you're saying you is can, like pointing to uh, what does respect look like? What does love look like? What does, you know, valuing the person and versus really treating them to be something to use. You know, those are concepts yeah. that kids understand and they apply beyond <laughs> pornography and sexual think, relationships. Totally. And I think that like one of the like strongest things that you can do early on in your child's life to to combat a lot of these types of things is to just model what a loving, mm-hmm. healthy mm-hmm. relationship looks like, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why like, um, not saying that like if you're a single parent or, you know, that you can't do that. Obviously you can, obviously you can model unbelievable, you know, examples of love to your children and to your family. But, um, you know, regardless of what your family situation, your family structure looks like, I think just like modeling what healthy reliable, dependable love actually looks like. Whether you're a believer or not, modeling what safety and trust looks like so that they learn what safety and what trust feel like and they Mm -hmm. know that they can rely on that. I think that that's probably the most important building block in all of this. How does being addicted to porn, how or or being a regular consumer of porn. Someone may even say, I'm not addicted, although I would argue, sure. try going without it for a while. Uh, but how does yeah. being a regular consumer of pornography play out in relationships? You know, we, we you, you touched on, hey, as a guy, you start to get kind of coarse in the way that you joke or the way that you talk about women. Um, you go from it being private to a more public interaction. But then what does that look like when you're actually dating someone and then marry them? Because we know that people who spend time looking at pornography when they're single and they're like, well, I don't have anybody. That doesn't go away the minute you walk down the aisle. No. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. So Your your pause there was everything. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yeah. For anyone listening who is married and hasn't been married for very long or is getting married, um, if we're the first person to tell you this, then I think it does both of us a great honor. Marriage absolutely will not in any way solve any of your premarital no, problems. No, neither it does make it make everybody in the worse. world. Yeah, it makes them worse. And neither does it make everybody yeah. in the world suddenly ugly. Like, don't think like, no. oh, any attraction I had, any struggles, like that goes away. My eyes are only nope, for you, one. You're like, ah. You will wake up on your honeymoon and see really attractive people. That's going to happen. So, especially if you vacation in a sunny spot. Oh, especially if you go somewhere (laughs) where attractive people notoriously flock, Um, like the beach or tropical destinations. So, anyway, but yeah, so with the relationship aspect of it, I will say that, you know, I think that, you know, as a guy, if you consume a lot of porn, and again, like Joe said, like if you're, if you don't think you're addicted, you might not be, you genuinely might not be. That's great. And that's perfectly fine. But, 
stop, tell yourself to stop for 30 days and then see how it makes you feel. And then you tell yourself what you think about, you know, your own, Mm -hmm. um, like your own involvement with this particular, um, you know, type of material. So, um, I will say that porn can create unrealistic expectations, which then turns into entitlement, which then turns into resentment. So whenever you go through the process of dating someone and you hide viewing porn from them, you don't talk about it, then maybe let's just say that you're the type of person that like consumes porn regularly, but you want to get married. You're in a relationship right now and you want to stop because you know that it, like you've heard that it could be bad for your marriage and you don't want to deal with that. That describes a lot of people, definitely describes a lot of men in the church. Um, you're kind of waiting for this like magic bullet, you know, of like, I'm going to go to premarital counseling and then I'm going to get married. When I say I do, I'm going to get to have sex with my wife and that's going to make me not want to watch porn anymore. That's a hundred percent not true. And mm. that will 100% not happen to you. I promise you cannot marry your way out of a porn addiction. Ooh, it there's a quote. Happen. You cannot yeah. marry your way yeah. out of a porn addiction. You Hear can't, that, you friends. can't do it. And- I'm going to take that further. You can't sleep your way out of a porn addiction. No amount of partners will pull you out of that if that's what you want to stop. No amount of regular, consistent, healthy sex with your spouse will pull you out of a porn addiction if you haven't gone to the root of the issue and dealt with why you're there to begin with. So, yeah. But to all of the people that are looking to get married, young people, you can't marry your way out of this. If you're currently in a dating relationship and you're having the marriage talks, bring this up. Mm-hmm. It's going to suck. It's absolutely not going to be fun to talk about. It's going to be super awkward and it might even be a little tense and kind of turn into an argument. That's okay. Do all of that. Take all of that. Wear the uncomfortable weight in the room as a badge of honor that you're actually confronting something that's going to do you know, leaps and bounds for your future in terms of like how good your relationship right. is is going to be able to, you know, be sustained and maintained after dealing with this as opposed to just not dealing with it all. So well, and I do will it say now that, instead of five years into your now. marriage, because yeah. you think it won't affect your spouse. But let's look at what does it do in yeah. marriage when you are viewing so, porn and your spouse doesn't know or you think they don't know. <laughs> You think they don't know. Yeah. And both of those are very real situations. There, there are people whose spouses genuinely have no idea. And there's people whose spouses have known for a long time and they haven't said anything, you mm-hmm. know, um, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, gambit of these, of these situations of these different types of, um, of people. Uh, f- first of all, I will say that like, if you're dating or married to someone and the porn thing has come up, give that person grace, whether they're a man or a woman. Um, if they're a guy, Definitely, you know, men aren't used to being given grace with mm. things that they struggle with just in general, especially not by society. I'm not saying feel sorry for men at all. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying <laughs> like just be know that human. that's not the expected response when a guy Just cares. know that men usually aren't used to receiving grace whenever it comes to things like this. And definitely whenever it comes to, you know, what I would call, you know, sexual malfeasance. <laughs> so um, it's, it's not something that men are used to being met with grace. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences and that doesn't mean that you don't have a right to be firm or angry or reprimanding. It doesn't mean any of those things, but it means that among all of those things that might be necessary, grace should also be there. And I think it's up to you to decide whether that's the first thing or the last thing, but it should be there. Mm. Um, you should you should have grace in this situation. If you want to be angry first, you, that's your right. Um, if you want to be gracious, like gracious first, and that's how you want to set it up, great, then be angry. But um, 
but no matter what, no matter how you move through this, um, you know, respect the other person enough to understand that like, yes, they make their own choices, but there might be an aspect of it that they have less control over than you think. So mm. the grace will go a long way into making them feel like they have someone on their side to stopping it as opposed to them being put in a jail cell and you're on the other side holding the keys, you know? So um, in the context of a marriage, I would say, talk about it. Um, talk about it right away. Talk about it with someone who you trust to mediate this topic. If that's a professional, that's best case scenario. But if it's a pastor or someone that you feel can lead you through that conversation, that's great too. And, and you know, I think sometimes the misconception with Christians is I'm just going to pray my way out of it. Oh yeah. You know, Sorry. Uh, you know prayer is a part he, of it. Yeah. Like bring prayer into it, but also Absolutely. be realistic of like, you, you are going to need to do a little bit more than that. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say whether you're married, you're single, wherever, you know, if you're listening to this and you are struggling, you're thinking, shoot, I don't know if I can go 30 mm. days. The, the, uh, the thought of 30 days makes me internally panic. Um, you know, how, how do, how do we start on the process of recovery and healing? What are some resources? Yeah. What are some things um, that you've you know, seen or experienced that are helpful um, so that we can end with hope. <laughs> yes. So I think that like the, the best resources that we have available right away that we don't have to go look for are our community mm. because addiction grows in isolation and the less you isolate yourself and the more you connect with other people and put these things out there that you're dealing with, the better chance you have of being able to trust and believe that you actually can stop certain behaviors. So, um, and even if it's once a week, even if it's like, even if it, it's like, you know, like, oh, like every Friday night, you know, like, you know, my spouse goes out with her friends and then that's my time I go into my office or whatever, you know, that's, you know, once a week may not sound that bad, but if it's every week for as long as you can remember, that's, that kind of is a problem. And you've now ritualized an aspect mm, of this and mm -hmm. you have come to rely on it and you probably look forward to it. You probably plan ahead to it. You probably for sure plan around it. So that's something that you need to take into consideration, but use your community, stop isolating, um, accept the fact that you're going to have to tell someone that, you know, something embarrassing, something uncomfortable, something that you don't like, that you don't want to even talk about at all with yourself, let alone someone else, um, accept that. Just yep. accept that. It's not easy. It's definitely easier said than done, but that can be a really, really effective first step is to just accept that you're not going to solve it on your own. You're not. Willpower won't get you out of an addiction. I'm sorry. I don't believe that. If someone has something contrary to say to that, I will correct myself presented with evidence. I've just never seen any evidence of someone actually having legitimate willpower and stopping an actual, you know, realized addiction. So don't trust that you're strong enough to stop. And don't tell yourself like when you're done for the night that that was the last time because that's ridiculous. You're wasting right. your own time at that point. It's just a total lie. So um, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just trying to like put the reality out there and to say that like if you've thought any of these things, Great. Now you have someone to identify with and you have something that you can recognize. This is the next step. There's a ministry called Triple X Ministries that has a lot of groups online that you can um we will we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes. Um it's a it's a it's a it's an online church network and organization that deals with trying to get people out of addiction to porn and trying to get people out of 
um, a lot of really unhealthy sexual behaviors, and they can plug you into groups of people that you can talk to. You can email people. You can chat with people um, about this anonymously. You can kind of go about it any way you want, but if you don't want to talk to someone in your real life about this, that's where I would go. I would go some either there specifically or somewhere like that because you you have to you have to bring someone else into the situation to interface with it. Yes. Um, and I would so, say too, you, you know, your stat about uh, 91% of men yeah. have looked at porn, 60% of women, that should in some ways be reassuring because the, the chances yeah. are that when you go to tell someone, it's not going to be a what? It's exactly. more of a, yeah. ah, you too. Okay. And so, yeah. you know, while, while the enemy would love for us to think this is just me and my problem and I got to stay quiet with it, the reality is when we talk about it, we find out other people are most likely struggling, um, you know, with it. And, and if you're in a church and you're in a small group and you have relationships, find one person who you can sit down yeah. and talk to. You know, a lot of churches nowadays have these groups called Celebrate Recovery and it's for addiction. Mm. It's not just for alcohol addiction. It's not just for drug addiction. You know, talk to your pastor for what are the resources they recommend. Triple uh, X Church or Triple X Ministries, a great one. And they've been around a long time. Another yeah. one is, in, and more for like information, if you're kind of like on the fence, Fight the New Drug is so great at pulling together resources. And especially if you're engaging with people or you yourself or somebody's like, I'm not a follower of Christ. Fight yeah. the New Drug comes at it from the scientific approach. They come at it mm -hmm. from the, the social approach. And there's a lot of information there to help you understand the impact uh, to yourself, to the people around you, to the, in the porn industry, and, and how you can move forward and realize like you're not actually alone. You're not a weirdo. You're not the only person out there uh, who has no. this problem. Um, I don't recommend talking to someone of the opposite sex about this. Agreed. Um, I don't think that, that would be... Uh, a very healthy thing to do just because it's really difficult to kind of relate on a one-to-one -one level with something like this, uh, especially something that we're talking about, like a distortion of our own sexuality that could be really difficult um, for someone of the opposite sex to like understand what it's really like from that perspective. I would say too, don't lean on your spouse or partner to be your accountability person. That's not oh, fair to them. Yeah. You know, and sometimes oh, people absolutely. think, oh, and I'll I'm just tell you... my wife or my husband, I'll be the, I'll ask them to hold me accountable. No, that's not going to work. Oh, and no. that's going to make it's it really not unhealthy. Work. And it's not that that idea isn't in good faith. And I think I understand where people come mm -hmm. from whenever they make that argument because they want to be inclusive and they want to keep things that like, you know, it's a show of like love and, you know, to like, oh, I'm going to like let my spouse know, like, this is a really difficult thing for relationships to navigate, let alone your significant other now being your anchor through overcoming this. That's yeah. very hard. It's yeah. very hard. Um, so yeah, definitely tell your spouse, definitely have honest conversations and be open, be willing to have them be angry about certain things, mm -hmm. but understand that if you guys aren't throwing the D word around and you're not talking about getting divorced, that everything can be overcome. It's okay. Um, people have gone through a lot worse and made it, but um, yeah, if you're a guy and you're struggling and you bring it up to someone that you're in a relationship with and they get angry, they have every right to let them don't get defensive, um, allow it, you know, to humble you and allow them to work through that process. Mm -hmm. And then after they're done being angry, a lot of the times you'll be really surprised at how supportive they can be with you actually going through the process of getting help and stopping, you know, certain behaviors. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I would say about that. Don't get defensive and don't turn it into an argument if they're angry that you lied and hurt them in secret. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um, thank you. I yeah. mean, I think this conversation is the kind that 
we will repeatedly have because it is so prevalent yeah. and it's so entrenched. Um, but thank you for being willing to come on and kind of oh, start yeah. it. Uh, you know, it's it, yeah. November is no porn November per fight the new drug. And so that was part of why we wanted to to highlight it. Uh, don't worry. Next week, we're going to talk about Advent friends. And that's like a <laughs> totally different tone. Yeah. It's totally but, different. But part of being people who live a wild and beautiful faith is that we uncover those areas in our life um, that are kind of ugly that are kind of uncomfortable and that, you know, by, by exposing them, by dealing with them, we are stronger, better, healthier people, um, living out uh, a more, um, hopeful and realistic faith to people. So thank you for joining us for this conversation today. As always, feel free to write us at wild and beautiful podcast at gmail.com, uh, rate, share, and this one you may want to just quietly send to somebody that you know maybe needs to hear this, but it is an important topic. So please don't stop having these conversations, friends. 